You're listening to Your Rivers Are Wrong, the podcast. My name is Merle. I'm here with my good friend Dante, and we're here to build worlds and tell their stories. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good morning, or evening, or afternoon, whenever you may be. Welcome back to the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast, season two finale i'm one of your hosts my name is dante and i'm the other host my name is merle and we're here as we are every week to talk about the wonderful whimsies of world building the arts and aesthetics of setting up a setting and telling stories born from it Mm -hmm. here we go awesome (laughs) we could talk about this for a little bit um this is the last episode of season two uh, we will be taking you all the odds in the audience. Yeah. Aww, everybody Aww. together. Uh, you in your train car or your or your room. Three, two, one. Aww. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll be taking a little bit of a break as we usually do mm-hmm. uh, after we get to, I guess it's 14 episodes. You know, you know how that is. It's also a good time to just catch up on stuff that we've been putting off or mm-hmm. projects that we want to work on in the meanwhile. But we will be back, of course, for more episodes yeah. uh, once that comes around. For sure. Now, we got to talk about like current events because all over the news on our side of my side <laughs> of the world, the uh-huh. Western media, the, the Europe is super hot. Europe is super hot. <laughs> I'm literally asking you, how's the weather? It is the truth. What does that mean? Like, what does that mean for you? Because I know you're a little bit more north than a lot of things. So is that like really, really bad? I hear yeah. like Spain is terrible. In terms of like context, right? I feel Holland Wait, is... Wait, where are you? Okay, cool. I was going to say, where are you currently residing? Okay, cool. I am in my room as I always am when we're podcasting because <laughs> here's my mic. But yes, Holland is usually like a nice, nice average summer heat is like 25 degrees Celsius. That's like a good, you can have a good swim and it's not going to be awfully annoyingly hot, right? Mm-hmm. If it's like above 30 degrees, it's usually like very sweaty weather where everyone is just has no energy during the day. Or maybe I should talk about myself. I have no energy during the day. (laughs) (laughs) And I think right now it's like far over 30. Hold on. Let me actually look this up. Yeah, I need the temperature so I can convert it to freedom units. And I know what that (laughs) means in Fahrenheit. Uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. Because you say 30. Okay, currently 35 degrees in my current city. Celsius. Um, times 1.8, uh, plus 32. Which is still like, doable. Dang, 95 degrees? Okay, so that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of degrees. Hot. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty hot. And I feel like it's worse in Spain because they usually are like much warmer on average. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. would probably not like <laughs> living more south because I already hate the warm summers here at times. <laughs> so this is like pretty, pretty fucking hot. <laughs> To be honest, I have been sort of hermiting in my room with a lot of like <laughs> airco and stuff. So I've tried to Got not it. like be in touch with the climate too much. And I've been doing pretty <laughs> okay. So, you know, windows closed, curtains half closed. We're we're making it work. I am practicing social distancing from climate, the climate. distancing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the way to do it. That is crazy. So um, <laughs> I guess like for Americans that are like, oh, that's not that bad. You know, whatever, like 95, whatever. A lot of Europe doesn't have central air conditioning, as in like that's not something built into a lot of buildings. We kind of take it for granted here in the States, but like I remember wait, when you're talking. Wait, what sorry, does that mean I- though? Because we do have airco. Central AC? Not always everywhere, but. Oh, good. 
so I places like the UK and um, mm-hmm. I it, I don't know. It's been a while, but usually when I play with <laughs> my European friends, uh, I play D and D in the summer. They're always talking about the fact that a lot of buildings don't have like <laughs> oh right yeah air conditioning that is that moves through the whole house rather than just being a fan next to you. Oh you know? yeah, fair fair. That's pretty true. I feel like I was thinking of like office buildings or big like more like work environments, which usually have air conditioning thank god <laughs> that's good that's but um good. Yeah. yeah yeah cool that's actually not cool but <laughs> very uncool very warm in fact yes. yeah so it's not like crazy warm yeah, yeah yeah in your place it's um no it's not it's like 80s it's not mm-hmm. that bad good uh, for what's you. the conversion of 80s <laughs> 80 minus 32 i got a calculator out because I'm we can never talk gonna... you always use different measurements for everything 26 ish 26 <laughs> oh okay that's yeah that's yeah. like comfortable yeah <laughs> we can never we can never talk about this sort of stuff because there's always numbers involved. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is the same thing with D and D, right? Like, I had to get used to like using feet and stuff for measurements. Yes, that's true. Oh, right. Like thirty feet is not a thing for me. It's always meters, but that's not a thing in D and D. So fuck yeah, me. Yeah, D and D uses like D and D uses like five foot measurements for everything. Yeah, um, uh-huh. and that's like a little less than thirty meters. But yeah, yeah, but that doesn't like calculate well. Just under no. three meters <laughs> doesn't work. Just under three. <laughs> I think it's much more useful. Two point. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, well. um, but yeah. Uh, current events on your end, besides the heat. Are, are people actually take are like workplaces taking accommodations for like the intense heat? Or is it just like, well, go to work. Best of luck. Nah, best you know? of luck. But I mean, a lot of people are in like summer holidays, I feel like. Got it. A lot of people are either taking their holidays, like schools are out and stuff. So I mm-hmm. feel like people can kind of make do <laughs> or got just it, got it. be on the beach all the time and cool off so it's manageable it's doable and also it's part of summer so it's also fine current events yeah. on my end are that i try to learn a very basic chord version of the song that was made for jester in critical role by oh, nice. lily for pharaoh i think like the Dude, one I on youtube her. that made all the awesome like character related songs i tried to yeah. learn the jester one it made me very happy so that was a very very current like yesterday event <laughs> <laughs> and then also i am currently on holidays for work so that's awesome and very, very satisfying cool. and next week i'm gonna go have a little trip with my mom which is good and i'm so looking forward to it wonderful <sighs> pretty good <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, Lily's music is amazing. I it's every so now and fun. then just come back to the um the one about DMs where it's a story uh, about them like building the world from like their own life spring. I'm yeah. Like, oh, that's so, so good. good. Love that. Love that. I think one person made an orchestrated version of her jester song, which has been on repeat hey. for a good solid while now. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. pretty awesome. That's incredible. So how about you? How about you? How you been doing? Um it's been it's been busy. I took yeah. like an extent. I took like a month, month and a half break from my YouTube channel, mm. and I'm kicking back into it because uh-huh. I was um, I was sponsored by a Kickstarter cool. campaign, and then they were awesome. like, "Hey, uh, would you be able to make an ad for us?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I could do that. I just need to plan a video." And they're like, "Okay, it's like three three weeks away. You know, don't stress." And I'm like, "Cool." You know, three weeks later, I'm like, "Oh, time to stress." You That's know? today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to. I That's had to do awesome, a, I had to send though. A, Congrats. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really exciting. Is it like a D&D thing? Yeah, it's like a third-party D&D supplement. And it's a really cool ah. book. It centers on like uh, like Lovecraftian, Gothic horror, that sort of thing. Oh, fine. Um, That's very yeah. nice. I had to send an ad, a preview for the ad on Monday. We're recording mm. this on Tuesday. So 
And I was scrambling Sunday night. I'm like, what am I going to do? But thankfully, they had a whole lot of really cool assets. And what came out of it was like, I did a little bit of like, I did editing, of course, to put a piece all together and did some voiceover work and I captioned it and I put myself like as a character in that setting and kind of narrated a little bit of like what to expect from it. And I learned on YouTube that night. That sounds hot. I love it. In like my 3 a.m. fever, (laughs) Um, I was Googling like how to sound like a spooky ghost. Uh, So I learned in audition how to edit. (laughs) I can like pictures this in my brain and I'm very happy about this scenario. Your laugh like cut out. Oh no! <laughs> in the middle of that. That's really funny. That means um, it's real. <laughs> but yeah, it was just like um, how to add revert. There was this, a really cool trick where you you record yourself, you duplicate that, you um, reverse it, like you you flip the recording. Oh, okay. And then you add reverb to it to extend it. So there's like a fading out effect, and then you flip mm. it again. So when it comes back, it's like the reverse reverb where it builds up in like a. Oh. Like a, <sighs> And the sound, you know, like that. That did not work like, through our discard communication. Dang it. Video. That's fine. It sounded really cool. And I layered myself and I added myself again, like awesome. with a lower octave. And it just like the way it sounds. And the way it put, was put together was very exciting. But I have to release an actual video by Thursday, you know, an actual YouTube video to attach this to. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. This intro is getting a little long. But yesterday, Witches of the Coast had the audacity to drop a oh. new Unearthed Arcana that was 12 pages long. And my channel <laughs> okay. was like, Okay. My channel is like, when it's released, drop everything, live stream you reviewing it. So yeah. I did. And like all my plans were just <laughs> thrown out the window. I'm like, okay, I really needed today to do something. Oh, no. Now I, I'm just going to do this instead. But the stream was really nice. I, I had finished that and that's on my mind, basically. So I'm just scrambling to just pump out a lot of like videos and stuff. And I'm really oh, proud boy. of like what I make. But yeah, gosh, that's a time lot crunch. Yeah, that's very much nonstop. Yeah. So after this sprint, I would call it. Do you have a bit of like recharge time? Yeah, yeah. So I only recovered like the first two pages of the UA. That's Mm. two videos that's going to come out. And then the video that has the ad in it that's going to come out. And after that, I review the the rest of the UA over the weekend. And we'll see where it goes from there. Because there's another book coming out in August that I'm going to cover and release like six videos on. So there's a lot coming. Dang. Okay. Soon. You know, that's 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 kind of the Anyway, that's me. Back in the groove. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Back in the game. Back in the game. (laughs) Yeah. I love that I'm like out of the groove now. I'm very happy about it. And you're like just getting into it. So just jumping back in. Absolutely. It's interesting how this is not relatable at all. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way for me. But yeah, understandably. So <laughs> yeah. Dang. Anything else to cover before we jump into it? I think I'm good. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. As always, we all we both have our prompts that we bring. This final prompt of the season. Uh, we each bring a prompt to the transatlantic table and present it to the <laughs> other person who has no idea what it is. So it's always a little bit of fun to discover what we're going to be talking about today. And I believe today, for episode 28, uh, you're bringing the first topic. Yes, that is correct. I thought Let's since this is our, you know, season finale episode, I thought why not in general talk about finales or like epilogues. I was going to talk about calls. finales. Really? Oh no. <laughs> so, no. Okay. Uh, no, no, I think I think a different topic. I picked a different topic. Oh, okay. I was like I was like it's okay. fine, it's fine. That was we definitely on my list. We can also make this like emerging thing if you or, Yeah, yeah, if yeah you that was a, that different. was like a backup. Don't worry about it. We're okay, good. okay. We're good. Awesome, awesome. That's so funny. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was like is this too obvious maybe, but <laughs> turns out it was. Oh well. Okay. So I have this one specific example that I want to start with. So it's this movie called The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, who's the main character. Bill Murray basically plays a guy in charge of a submarine 
I forgot all the rest of the plot, but what I did remember, because it was an awesome movie, (laughs) is that they had a sort of scene at the end that felt, as I was watching it for the first time, that felt like a sort of curtain call. And you never really have that in a film. That's always a thing Mm. in theater, right? That's a specific, you saw sort of all the characters that that have come by during the story walk in line in a specific scene. It was still like in the story, right? It wasn't like, and here's all the characters that played. It wasn't a literal curtain call, but it felt kind of conceptually almost like a curtain call. And that's the main thing that I remember about this movie, that I found it so awesome that they kind of did a movie version of a curtain call. And it kind of got me thinking, since I want to talk a little bit about how to end things or how to properly do a good finale, right? Like, what is that epilogue part of the finale? Is the curtain call? Should that always be there? Just to name it that way. And I think it has a very interesting role in finishing off, tying off a storyline nicely. Mm. And what that even means, I guess, because it can have a lot of functions also. It can be the last scene of a story, right? Can be either a summary of things or a sort of, where are they now? You know, it's a sort of zooming out or it's a sort of curtain call where you're like, okay, these are all the characters that happened and we're going to sort of tie this off now. So I wondered if you have specific opinions on how to properly end a story or if you always do certain things that you love to do when ending a story, Mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's been actually at the forefront of my mind for a couple months now because I have two campaigns in D&D that I've with my friends that I've, you know, know in real life. And both of those campaigns, fingers crossed, if every, if scheduling goes well, mm-hmm. both of those campaigns will end this year. Ooh. So I, it's been pressing on my mind, like, what does the finale of this, of this game look like? Like, what is this D and how does this D and D campaign end? Mm. And I've kind of given both of the groups, like the talk where it's like, Hey, <laughs> we only have this many sessions left before we fight the final boss. And this story is over. So I want you all to really think about what you want to accomplish before the end of this story and what your characters do with the rest of their lives. Right. Like, and you just and that's just kind of something I have to put out there so I don't blindside them and be like, OK, campaign's over. Bye. You know, it's not a very satisfying Wait, this was the ending. last episode? Yeah. That's <laughs> Wait, this not was the last episode? <laughs> Wait, it was canceled? OK, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, finales, whether it be like a season finale or a series finale, the, the goal is tying all those bookends. It's tying up all those loose, mm. uh, loose story plots. Yeah. Making sure that what everybody cares about is tied up satisfactorily. I mean, if you want to talk about it in like the sense of like a D&D campaign rather than like we can talk about finales in like actual like TV shows or things like that. Yeah, sure. Whatever you think about. It. Yeah. Yeah. In a D&D campaign, when you're talking about finales, it's like you start having to think about what is the fully realized version of this character, right? Every player at the table has their own character and they've played through dozens of sessions in this character's shoes, living their life, fighting challenges, succeeding. So what is it that they aspire to? Like what what goal have they worked towards from the very beginning? How has their character changed and how you how can you portray that in a satisfying way? Mm. So I'm a big believer in like in properly epilogging. Like when the story is over, give every character their closure. Um, give them a little bit of time to kind of tell the rest of the group what their character is doing with the rest of their life. Like where do they where do they settle? Like what what role do they fit into in this like newly um finalized finalized i guess newly peaceful world what does the life of the adventurer look like after the adventure is over and i find that more often than not players no matter how experienced they are in like in storytelling or uh, or like writing or anything like that they're really good at 
understanding the core of their character. They've spent so many hours that it's a piece of themselves at this point. Uh, and the, the way that, <laughs> yeah, that looks in the finale is such incredible detail that nobody else would ever bring up. And it's like, oh, this was something that they really wanted to do. And this was something they really wanted to buy. They, they wanted to have a ship and travel the world. And they wanted mm. to like spend a lot of time with these people, like the family that they recently found, things like that. It's very, very, I think the word here that we're all looking for uh, in an epilogue or a finale is catharsis. We want to be at right. peace with the story. Uh, that we don't have to be disappointed or dismayed at how it ended, you know, and we and at least when you're playing at a table with people and you have full control of that, you all want to make sure that it's all on the table, that we could leave it with no regrets. You know, that's mm-hmm. what a finale is like to me. Yeah, for sure. That sounds like a very good summary as well of what I thought of. I think it's also used not only for the characters and for the story to tie it off nicely and to sort of be able to put it at rest but also out of game or out of story for the people, both the people making and the people watching it. Like there needs to be some sort of closure even to the process of making or to the process of watching or, you know, experiencing Mm. something. For instance, I am one of those, I feel always very snobby when I say this, but I'm like (laughs) one of those people that always sit throughout the entire end credits of a movie when I, whenever what I go a to the snob. theater. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know, right? I'm so snobby. Yeah, man. Can't yeah. Believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I always feel like partially, well, not even guilty because I don't even agree with the people standing up, but I'm like, it's an experience to like keep sitting even though nobody else is in the right. theater anymore, right? But I always do it because it's just the most perfect way to sort of get your mind slowly easing out of the movie. Right. It's the perfect in-between state, I almost want to call it, of understanding that the movie's not real anymore and, you know, that you have to kind of let go of the characters, but also still being sort of in the aftermath of it and being able to kind of linger in it for a little bit. Of course. And I think that's so important. And I think the same happens with a properly done epilogue or curtain call. This is also the thing that I have with, for example, a very literal example, but like, advertisements at the end of a podcast or something or at the end of an audiobook Mm. i don't really skip them because i can just sort of zone out a little bit and be like oh what did i just do or sort of remember that i'm in a world and stuff i'm sort of back into wherever whatever room i'm in or whatever walk i'm taking and i think it's a very nice sort of in between of like the fiction and the sort of back into you know, whatever you were doing again. Reality, right. And I think that's also a very important function of it that I never really realized until I started thinking about this, like <laughs> properly for this topic. But I think that's very nice. And I think also that's kind of what you want to achieve with also in story, right? Like with an epilogue mm. that you were saying, like it's really about being able to let whatever you create as sort of settle in order to let it go, right? And the same thing happens with prologues, right? You want to sort of ease into it, but you don't want to give everything away. It's kind of the inverse, literally, of it. Mm. And I think it's quite nice to think for yourself as the creator of a story or a game or whatever, to kind of be conscious about what kind of framework you're putting to your story, right? Like the meat of the story is often like the main idea, the core. You kind of know what you want to do with that. Everything around it is also pretty important for like the proper tone and beginning and most specifically ending of of a storyline. I know when I watch um, season finales, whether usually like of an anime or something like that, or a, or a mm-hmm. show on HBO, yeah. the last episode, I, I do the same thing. I always watch the entirety of the intro song or whatever it is oh, right. and the entirety of the credits. 
because I know they never see me doing this, obviously, but I, it's kind of <laughs> for me, it's kind of a tip of the hat to the creators or the mm. or the creative team behind it, because I know that they really, really care about how the series ends. So I want to experience that finale exactly how they intended it to. So that is like that's including the intro song, that's including the credits or anything that comes after it. Most poignantly, I remember most recently when I watched the last episode of Arcane, mm, I was right. I was so shook by that by the ending that I like leaned back in my chair. I just looked at the ceiling and I just listened to the like the <laughs> actual song. Yeah, and I'm just like, what? Just exactly. Happened? That's what, what you want, happened? right? That's what it's for. Yeah, <laughs> and like you're saying, it's it's closure. It's 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 giving yourself time to separate yourself from the story. The longer the song goes on, the more it kind of registers inside of you that yes, this story's over. Yes, the story's over. <laughs> like. It's okay for you to leave, you know. There's yes, nothing there's really this, nothing you know? more going on. Yeah, yeah, true. Unless you're watching you want, a Marvel it's so movie, bad. <laughs> and there's always after credits and whatever. But it's like, yeah. oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, for me, for me, it is like a kind of tip of the hat to the creator. It's just like I know you wouldn't want us to skip the whole episode. Like, so I will, I will truly appreciate the whole episode, even if I have been skipping the intro and all your other episodes prior. I mean, you know? I'm not gonna lie. Usually the intros of animes are so fucking long that I don't feel guilty when I when I skip it. But but I agree with you <laughs> that the first and the last episode, I want to at least know what they're about and how they start and end. Mm-hmm. Very fair. Yeah. And also in terms of like tip of your hat to the creator, I think that's also kind of the original purpose of a curtain call, right? Like it's, it's the space where you traditionally in a theater right like very literally right where you applaud the actors and the musicians and the you know stagehands and everyone involved in the live production of whatever you were watching Mm -hmm. this also reminded me of something that i think i talked with my dad or something like a long time ago this was like the first musical i ever went to which was a very local production of pippi longstocking (laughs) made me very happy (laughs) and i think there was like a villain character or something i'm not sure this was so long ago I remember that me and my dad talked about how it's actually kind of good if your villain gets less applause (laughs) at the curtain call, because then as the actor, you kind of know you did a good job because the people hate you more than the other characters, (laughs) right? That's so funny. And I think that's also, again, this sort of in-between space where you're like, you can appreciate suddenly, you know, the man behind the mask, the actor that is playing the characters that you were immersing yourself in right a second ago i think for me also i really love that moment in theater it's kind of the oh they're people too <laughs> oh right i don't know it gets out of the fiction of it right even though they're still dressed like them and you know they kind of you know they weren't cast for no reason they're obviously like similar or they have certain traits that they can use in their character portrayals <laughs> yeah exactly uh-huh they have like very angry eyebrows obviously yeah. oh yeah obviously always always <laughs> It's again this sort of in-between space where suddenly you understand that it's a thing that was created by people and that people put so much Mm. effort in. And I think that's really nice. Do you have like specific epilogues or finales that you remember distinctly? Um, gosh, specific epilogues. I mean, for me, the the epilogue for the Great Dance, our 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 first indie campaign, was fantastic. Yeah, it's like we we literally spent. Like the story was over, right? The story was entirely mm-hmm. done. And we just spent the whole session or the whole time sitting together <laughs> just talking about the epilogue, right? It was, it, we, we didn't have to. Story was done. Mm-hmm. Like it was wrapped yeah. up. But to look for that closure to really close the book on characters we've been playing for the better part of what, a year and a half at that point? Maybe, no, two no, years? No, longer, yeah. Two years. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. To really like finally separate ourselves from that and, and close the book on the story, um, those epilogues were necessary. Specifically I felt that they were in D&D, I feel, because you're getting yeah. like so in the way of your character and you're not really sure what, what is at some point and you've been playing it for so long, right? And it's the continuously mm-hmm. the same character. It does feel like you're closing a chapter on your own life because Kinda, it's truly yeah. like two years you've dedicated to a specific art form. Yeah. And to be like, all right done with that you know to one person <laughs> yeah that you've grown to know yeah. so well and started to like be like or yeah, understand i guess is the word and just witnessing other people have that unique experience where they're like <laughs> separating them it's like we're all separating ourselves from something that's very near and dear and like to watch all of us do that procedurally yeah you know? exactly i was just gonna say yeah because it's also so fun to watch other people do it it's the best thing. I remember <laughs> the one moment in Critical Role campaign one spoilers where they also had a beautiful epilogue, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I remember that Percy super spoilers. <laughs> I remember that Percy at some point said, I think I'm gonna build a clock tower. And I was like, it's so perfect. Ugh, I can't deal with it. And you know, I, Percy's not even my favorite character, you know. I haven't seen all of mm-hmm. campaign mm-hmm. one, but it was just so beautiful to be like pondering over how a character sort of settles in. Yeah. I think I'm repeating you here, but yeah, how, how somebody can know a character so well that the epilogue just has to be right. so beautiful and perfect like that. I'm running a mini campaign for a couple of people. It's supposed to go on for like two, three months and oh, be fun. done. Um, but to really get into the characters and like, I wanted it to be like meaningful and actually have an impact on mm. like their story. I, it's, this isn't a West Marches, so I don't always get to play with their character for all of the sessions that they play in. So right. I don't know them too well. Yeah. So I sent out some survey questions and I was just like, hey, yeah, like... Uh, what does your character value? What's their greatest memory? What's their biggest moment of strife? Like, when did they struggle? What's their biggest battle? Mm-hmm. And ideally, like, what's it when and what's a secret that they've never told anybody, but you wouldn't mind coming out in this campaign? I sent that out and I'm like, OK, this will give me kind of a feel to better understand the characters. And what I got back was the most deep lore that I truly have never encountered <laughs> before. I'm like, dang, you think about your character this much? Oh, like, wow. That's this so is, cool. This is so much. This is so this is so hefty and so like heavy and I, and I really lo- I really appreciate it. I'm like, oh, so this is why you play it this way. This ah. is what you've been experiencing. And, you know, a, a look behind the curtain uh, made me realize how much people value these these little pieces of themselves, you know, little modes of creation. So when you think of like epilogues, ending a story, you you really, really, really want to do it on your terms. Right. We all know mm. what it feels like yeah. when a seri- when a season finale ends. And a TV show is not renewed and the story just dies there. Yeah, awful. Or if your favorite manga doesn't finish <laughs> and it ends after 23 chapters, you know. Why? What do you mean, decide. Dante? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm sure there's a previous episode you talked about. That. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, you can look at episode 24 for that. Or 24. No, 26. 26. Oh, okay. Right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be okay, Dante. <laughs> it, it's, it's been like seven, it's been like six years. It's I'm not ready okay. to let it go. Uh, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> it's like a heartbreak. Um, yeah. It's not a nice, but yeah, properly it's not tied a good up ending. Experience. Yeah. No catharsis. Good, there, bad example. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So, yes. Um, respect your epilogues. Do them well. Do them right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also sometimes you don't need them. Like it really depends on the story or the whatever it is you're telling, right? Yeah. Or where your character ends up. And, you know, open endings are a thing. Of course. I think we talked about this also at some point. I feel like at least it's important to be aware that the ending, whatever it is that you're choosing, has meaning and decides also how your story is tied off. So 
it's very literal, but also being mindful of it is, I think, pretty important. Yeah. And really of course. determines also how you leave your audience with it and what yeah. lingers and what doesn't. So, yeah. I think the details you put into your epilogue are very telling of like what you value and what, what is important to yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. And things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That was a great topic. Glad I didn't pick it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that hey, would have we're been talking about so finales again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> part two of our finale. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> That's not how a finale should work. Okay, yeah, that was that was really great. So for the topic that I'm bringing, or the last topic of this season, I wanted to talk about improv. Uh, today mm. I want to talk about improv, Love uh, it. and that's something that we run into quite a bit when playing these live play uh, RPG things. <laughs> and true to form. Not because I didn't have, I woke up late and didn't have any time to write it down. Um, true to form, to improv, I have no notes on this. Okay. This is all off the dome. Cool. So, <laughs> so improv is something that if you're not in a D&D or RPG space, you'll probably don't really think about, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, if you're not on in theater or you're not specifically tasked to be a comedian or anything like that, improvising a story is a talent that you develop almost unintentionally. The best way I usually describe D&D or Dungeons and Dragons to other people is, is that it's a four hour or three to four hour collaborative improv session. Mm. And I think that's the best way to describe it, but it's not All easy to visualize. Or, oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's not, there's, there's, there's layers to it, right? Yeah. Because there Very is true. prep that goes into this. Mm-hmm. There are characters that are pre-established. There is a setting that has been written out. Yeah. Right. So there are definitely things that are set in stone, but the majority of the time... When you're in these, um, when you're in these D and D sessions, when you're sitting down with your friends, there is a point in the session where I truly say, "All right, everything that happens from here on out is off the dome. It's off the, it's off the top <laughs> of my head. Yeah, I am not ready for what you just presented to me. That's all I got. But yeah, uh-huh. as the as a professional dungeon master, no, I'm kidding. As as somebody who um, is expected to know the story as the storyteller, as the game master. Yeah, I was going to say, like, even not professional, like, they look to you. Yeah. That's kind of your function as a DM. I will I, w- I will truly Wizard of Oz you <laughs> and give you the illusion that I know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you send your friends into a dungeon. Um, you fill it with monsters and treasure and secrets. And they say, hey, let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> I actually want to visit my friend in the What's this hole. castle over here? <laughs> You're like, what away. castle? Yeah. And and whenever that happens, I'm like, ooh, that's a great idea. And you hear me like, <laughs> like quickly <laughs> typing in the background like that. Uh, I'm not stressed. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I let's let's do that mm-hmm. is there anything mm-hmm. you want to do before you go to the hobbit hole as i'm furiously typing anything <laughs> any you shopping, want to discuss any to you know in party conflict going no? through my notes yeah <laughs> you sure uh-huh. there's nothing you yeah. want to discuss before that uh, for maybe like a minute or five this will be relatable <laughs> to literally everyone who ever yeah did. yeah <laughs> so that that one character that you Totally said was important to the story, but forgot to flesh out because you fell asleep. That's going to come up right now, right here. <laughs> yep. uh, and, I'm, yep. and I want to talk about what that's like and how, you, how, how we handle it. You know, uh, you run your own campaign. Have there, have there ever been situations where you're just duly unprepared? And, um, and what is your strategy in handling those moments? You know? Anything that immediately Are there situations? Yes, all the time, everywhere, all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the first answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's Everything how, everywhere how my life works. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Every, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Let me think. 
I feel like for me, it works best if I have a setting kind of fleshed out pretty thoroughly before they even enter it in general. Right. Like if I lead them to a new city, I don't just make the first few taverns and that's it. I also really want to know what the city is about because otherwise I feel like I don't have enough breathing room to be able to improv and to be able to tie it in with other right. things if it ever suddenly go a different route or want to do something else that I didn't prepare or plan for, then it's really nice to know that the city also exists as more than just, you know, the sort of <laughs> cardboard cutouts that the movie set <laughs> was made houses. for, right? Yeah, it's it's not, I have at least like more streets that you can also go in that are also cardboard cutouts. That's kind of what I, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I at least want <laughs> That's to. A gr- I love yeah. that visual. That's exactly what it is. Just a bunch of cardboard cutouts. Yeah, it's kind of like one movie set and then there's another movie set behind it just in case they, you know, peek behind the first movie set. That's kind of what I, what, what's necessary for me to be able to like That's have the comfortable yeah. free space to like make shit up as we go. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what it is, yeah. So that means, you know, for instance... They were in a city called Calmedina, which was a sort of Mediterranean kind of city. And there was a sort of zoo just kind of outside the periphery. Well, not really a zoo, but more like a sort of um, auction, I guess, like a sort of animal oh, okay. auction kind of place. It was a bit shifty, but also kind of interesting because they had all the weird exotic animals. And I didn't flesh this out. It was just called, we use Dutch names. So it was called Beested Town, which is basically animal garden. And I just had this sort of vague concept. And the fact that it was called that way and that's it. And it was on the map, right? Which is also oh, dangerous because no. then, you know, they think it's a place a and map? it's just cardboard. Yeah, it's a bad idea. I realized <laughs> after doing that. But at some point they just went there and I was like, wait, <laughs> no, now, wait, okay, so wait, no. uh, wait, stop. <laughs> it's just a name. It's not really a thing. It's just on the map. We're like, love that. It's just a few pixels. It's not actually a place. <laughs> But then I was like, yeah, sure, of course, go to this animal garden that definitely Mm -hmm. exists in the world that we are in. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I did is purposefully not flesh it out. Like I kind of made it a more restricted area than I initially thought of. Like it was a bit shifty anyway, like it was not in the official kind of markets and trading of the city. So I kind of made it a bit more shielded off so you couldn't look into pens or cages or something it was kind of a main office and i was like yeah they don't really want you to see what's going on here unless you really know what's going on or you have a lot of money (laughs) so if you're just here randomly they're not going to show you all their stuff (laughs) and i was like okay right right, this makes sense yeah and then also i don't have to think of all the animals that they have here yes (laughs) (laughs) so i think eventually it ended up being more like one crazy crazy animal garden owner that i made up on the spot in a very crazy office and then the fact that he just didn't want to show anything to them because they were like random adventurers and they were like come back tomorrow if you have money or a purpose yeah 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 time for your dm to prepare yes (laughs) exactly right so for that one it kind of worked but Uh if i wouldn't have at least some sort of idea of what the place was and coming up with that as well would be pretty pretty rough i think (laughs) it really depends also on the situation a lot I have a villain in my home campaign, mm-hmm. which has been going on almost five years now. Well, awesome. And I, the when I presented it to my players, they simply had sinister intentions. <laughs> the why I still haven't written. They it were down. just broody because they were bro- because because broody they, for reasons <laughs> because they were the villain. <laughs> they were evil for reasons, and because my party keeps avoiding them, I never have to figure out why that's <laughs> e- why they're evil. Awesome. Um, which which is. You know, uh, a little bit of a DM secret, like 
Sometimes you figure that <laughs> out along the, the way. Lifting the veil here. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a story goes a certain direction and you can what? say, wait, this villain still doesn't have a motive, but they do now, you know, that kind of thing. You know? Apparently my party <laughs> yeah. cares about animals. I guess they're now right. having an animal related motif. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Just chuck them in. Um, we actually talked about this in episode two, um, starting your first world, mm. uh, where when you're filling out a setting... I, I love the cardboard box visual because that's exactly <laughs> the cardboard cutouts visual because that's exactly what it is. You fill out your setting to a point, not in totality, because there's a possibility all that work goes to waste if they never visit. Uh-huh. Um, you you fill it out to a point where you can improvise what could be there or what fits to be there on on the off the cuff. Yeah, you know, like you you For lay down sure. the thematic of the city, you lay down the. The idea or the motif of its people and its culture, mm-hmm. put maybe one or two things like solidly and then just give, make it just sturdy enough that you can be like, yeah, it makes sense that this is here <laughs> and I can fill that in right now. Yeah. Because I know what the people are like. I know what the place is like exactly. and I know what their, their culture is like. Therefore, this place looks like this. I didn't prep that. But it feels like I did, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's how you kind of skirt around improv. Like, I, I keep turning back to my favorite DM, Brendan Lee Mulligan, a master of improv, the super brilliant. But, yeah, but he still prepares a ton. Like, he has a lot that he sits, puts behind the desk. Um, but when he's running a campaign that's truly an entire galaxy, and your players can go quite literally to the far reaches of the universe <laughs> on a whim in, light, in hyperspeed. Doesn't fit in a Word document. Yeah, it doesn't fit. You can't. You can't possibly be prepared for that. I did Not. notice that there is kind of a hyperspace interim period where when you're ju- when you're jumping to a new place, they sit in this little, you know, hyperspeed tube, how it's portrayed in like Star Trek sure, and stuff where sure. you're traveling at light speed. Um, and that gives a DM just a little bit of time to prep the setting and prep the location, um, which is a little bit of a trick that I noticed uh, while he's while they're playing that. But yeah, it's a lot of buying time and preserving immersion. That plays into like doing improv well. And it's something you yeah, just for sure. get better at with practice. Also, the thing that you talked about in terms of like needing just enough to be able to flesh it out, like the double double movie set visual. As you were talking about it more, I also realized that I think for me, that really is an aesthetic feeling that I need to understand about a place. Like I don't need to know what monsters are there. I don't need to know the literal people. Right. I don't need to know how big it is or, you know what color the streets are or what language they speak. I don't really care. I mean, it's nice if it's fully fleshed out, right? Of course, that's what you kind of want it to feel like, at least. For me, if I have the bare minimum in terms of feeling, in terms of the vibe of a place or, you know, a setting, then I can kind of riff off and continue things and keep going with whatever threat that I'm doing, right? So, for instance, in the city that I just talked about, I always like to prep for myself with just a sort of introductory text that is all about the atmosphere, vibe, right. tension of a place, right? I remember that there was this one visual that I had with like very dark colored buildings with a lot of flowers in every garden. This was kind of what the streets for me felt like. So it was okay. busy and tropical, eccentric in a way of like people had lots of personality, but it was also very chaotic. No one had like a garden plan or something. And mm. I don't know why this specific image came to me, but somehow that really tied in everything that I wanted to make or understand about this place. The way this image kind of got stuck in my head was really informing lots of other decisions that I made later on, either in game or, you know, in prep for right. fleshing out the city. And I think everyone works differently, of course, but for me, that 
first snippet of sort of the vibe of a place or a person or, or a character, you know, I do this also with characters, really gets me going. And I think if you find that one thing that gives you that foundation or the groundwork in order to be able to be free in everything else that you might yeah. have to think of on the spot, then you really mm-hmm. know whatever it is that you need to do or whatever it is that you need to have around you in order to improv properly or freely like that. Yeah. And I think it's also tying into a second thing that you said, the fact that it's a skill that you have to learn, that it's not really easy always. Like it's 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 <laughs> yeah, a pretty tricky thing and it's totally fine if you're not really good at it. That's not necessarily part of D&D so much that you can't enjoy right. it if you can't do it. But I think what D&D does, exactly what I was saying before, like that it creates the space to be able to experiment and improvise freely even though it doesn't work right. and along the way even though you have you don't have those tools yet for yourself if you don't have yet the well what i was talking about like i need a certain visual or a certain aesthetic to get me going if you don't know what that is yet you can find that out through playing because that's what the free space is for the, right. the exploration of it is also can also be part of the game and part of the fun and i think i really also needed to learn that at first because at first i was not really sure about the improv that I did, like I wasn't used to right. improvising as much. Like I love theater and stuff, but it was very much based on scripts and stuff the way I did before. It wasn't that improv based at. So mm-hmm. it didn't really come that naturally to me the first session that I played. And I think I also really had to understand and grow to realize that you don't have to be 10 out of 10 in terms of improv to enjoy it. You can also grow yeah. into that and be fine in whatever level you're at. It's it's part of the process. And I get when people play D&D for the first time or DM for the first time, they're like, oh, I'm not ready for this. What if they do something I'm not ready for? And the mindset that you need to go into that with is it's OK. That's the fun in it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the things that, that the spontaneity of the situation when you are not ready for something and you come up with something ridiculous as long as it doesn't break immersion, it's perfectly fine. That's the fun in it. Uh, the story is not a, a one person tale. It's a collaborative effort. Yeah. So for if, sure. if players want to go somewhere, they're like, we would like the story to go in this direction. And you can say, well, this is what happens in this situation. And we're just going to figure it out together. That's, you know, we're going to discover where the story goes <laughs> together. Right. Because, you know, in a, in a, per- I think there's a perfect perfect idealized version of D&D where the DM knows everything that's going to happen and they're constantly impressing their players with how <laughs> much they've prepped, right? But some of the funniest moments is when the player is like, hey, can I ask about the monkey? Can I, can I please ask you, why, what is it? And I'm like, well, it's small and it's pink. And they're like, it's pink and small? Oh man, like, uh, let's learn more about that. Like that, those things are the things that stick I with you. I want to know because... the specific example that this came from so bad. Oh, um, <laughs> Was I, this so from your, I, one of your campaigns? Yeah, yeah. Fun. So I have a, I have an island-based campaign where we hop from island to island. Oh, right, to, pirate to, vibes, to get, right? To get to different settings. Yeah, pirate yeah, vibes. Yeah, cool. So whenever they're on the open seas or spend a full day on the open seas, I have them roll uh, a, a hundred-sided die, a D100. Uh, and whatever that rolls on, I go to a table online and that's what happens. Mm. So we all know collectively, I don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. This is the open seas. Anything can. So <laughs> they know that the whole situation is improvised. And one of them was a ship that was passing by with an old spectacled, bespeckled, spectacled man uh, who's like three feet tall and he has a <laughs> and he has a ship that is run by a hundred monkeys and that was it Fuck, that was yes. all i had and they're like guys we need a monkey for our ship we need a monkey <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so they're talking to this How guy come i make up the, think about this before i want I a ma- monkey yeah 
Yeah, I make up awesome. a dumb name. I make up a, a dumb voice, and I and they they I I put I think I gave them art of a single monkey from like Maple Story, like the online game, yeah. and just little like hundred by hundred pixel art of a pink monkey, and they're like, oh, "What's its name?" And I'm like, "Up." Oh peaches <laughs> yeah like, peaches we need peaches so they've met this on this d100 table a hundred a hundred different possibilities uh-huh. they've run into the ship twice so peaches has come back a second time <gasps> and they're like guys are we getting peaches this time we're not getting peaches i mean this that's time. a sign no? right okay yeah, right <laughs> they, they didn't get peaches they because, didn't? They, they, because they didn't want to risk them bringing them to a dangerous dangerous place but as I'm telling them, okay, we got to we gotta wrap up this campaign. What do you want to do? One of the first things that came up is like, we have to find peaches. We have to find peaches. And I'm like, guys. I mean, <laughs> first things first. You can try. Find the pink yeah. monkey. Yeah. So like, it's those things that stick with you. Those memories where everybody's <laughs> off, coming off the cuff. Everybody's improvising. Yeah. The yes and energy of those moments is is memorable so right funny. it doesn't yeah. feel like you're reading a book <laughs> and it's the things you bring up like years later like remember peaches remember that monkey ah crazy you know <laughs> yep so love it love that's it the, and that's the charm of tabletop rpgs in in into almost in totality it's like this story did not exist before you were at the table the story mm-hmm. was not written down it was not premeditated uh you you the, the fate of your characters was not necessarily predestined it's all happening now yep. right we're coming up with it now and by the time you leave the table for D, a new story has been made mm-hmm. and there's there's the beauty right there's there's something that's truly fantastic yeah couldn't agree more that's awesome and it's also you know the fact that you have to do it in that moment like you can't really do it on your own you can't really prep for it all the way there's literally you need the other people to right. bring you to that space because you can't inform all the decisions that everyone else is making because that's yeah. not how, the ga- how a game works. Isn't it such a wild mind space that I've run into multiple times? It's like, <laughs> I have a story I want to tell and I want to bring to life, but I can't do that without other people. Yeah. Right? Isn't that something crazy? Like that's you have these movies out there, you have double video sided. games, you, you, have, you have books and stuff like that. Where the story is almost a singular effort, but some stories cannot exist without somebody reacting to it, without somebody living in it, mm-hmm. and that's that's just part of the art form. That that's why that's why I love this hobby. But yeah, you know, well said. Improv. I was like, I don't need to add anything else to this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was um, our last topic for a while, but there's one more thing we have to do before we end this podcast, and that is the weekly prompt. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of us brings a prompt to the other person that they've never heard before, and just like our topic says, you got to improvise on the spot how that goes. So um, for the last of our season, uh, I believe you have a uh, prompt topic today. Yes, that is true. And it's basically <laughs> based on the fact that villains get less applause. And I want to know, Ooh. I want you to Step into the mind of a villain for, for just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. Already there. Already there. Here awesome. I am. Yes. Right there. Meant to be. <laughs> In that pocket. There I knew go. you were up for it. Yes. I want to know their final thoughts based on the curtain call, <laughs> based on the fact that they didn't get as much applause as the other characters in the show. Oh, gosh. What does that do to our okay. poor, poor villain? So, so is this an actor that is playing a villain or is this like a proper like... Villain. I mean, depending on where you want to go with it, I'm fine with either. I was thinking villain in terms of like what does the character feel, 
but you know what whatever floats your boat gosh okay okay i got i have an idea i have an idea and i kind of want to roll with it yeah i'm thinking like you you know how um gosh i don't know his name but that one guy from all the hannah Barbera comics uh, or tv shows that has the laughing dog with him like he dresses (laughs) like a train conductor and a twirly mustache what's this reference I have no clue what this is. What? Okay, some. If you're listening and you know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> drop it in the comments. We don't have a comment section. Uh, just validate me. There is a villain <laughs> who um, is trying to, uh, I guess, kill the protagonist. And sure. every time he fails, there's like a dog with him, and he laughs. He's like a little chuckle. I'll find it later. I'll show you. But so specific. Um, okay. Okay. Let's 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 get step into his mind. Um, he has chosen to take a different path in life, and he stepped into the world of theater. He says, hey, my talents can be better used elsewhere. I feel like I need to validate myself as a as a creative, as an artiste Mm -hmm. uh, and killing people is not how I do it. So he step he goes into a theater. He gets the main role as a villain because, oh, he embodies. I'm getting like Octo from SpongeBob SquarePants vibes already. (laughs) It's very much my my vibe. Yeah, he's already got the laugh down. He's got all the evil soliloquies. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. He's good. He gets to the end of his first big show. He's been prepping for months. Yeah. He's been really putting his heart and soul into uh, this. He's uh-huh. actually been getting kind of close to the cast and starting to confide in them. He's like, hey, guys, I'm, re- I'm really on, a bi- on the wrong path in life. And I'm really trying to figure out what I'm doing next. You know, and they're like, OK, it's OK, Mr. Dastardly. You know, um, you got to take care of yourself. Um, and he's uh-huh, like, thank uh-huh. you. Thank yeah. you um, for holding me accountable. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He gets to Growing, the end. Learning. Yes. All of his all of his amazing cast members get thunderous applause. It comes to him. And his pause is just his applause is just a little bit quieter. And in the back of the audience <laughs> hall, he hears a singular boo. Boo. And he pauses and he's like, I don't know how to feel about that. This is like a cinematic boo, right? Like we, yeah, zoom, yeah, we yeah. zoom in on the mouth of the person booing and then, you know, Ooh, time stops, echoes. Everything yeah, yeah. blurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this, the day closes, put on some nice jazz noir music to fill in the space. <laughs> Very villainous, yes. Casual villainous. Uh, steps into the green room alone. Everybody's gone home to have the, you know, a celebratory like dinner, cast dinner. They're like, first successful mm. show. Let's go drink. Let's go eat. He's in the green room. He slumps into one of the chairs, faces the mirror, sees himself in those uh, light bulb lights around his face, tips his dastardly long hat. Says, <laughs> uh-huh. Of course. On brand. Is this what it's like to be a villain? Did they like me because I was good? Or did they like me because I was bad? And there's just kind of a self-reflective moment. He's really just sitting in his feelings. And he's like, did I disappoint someone today? Did I disappoint myself? And you feel, <laughs> he truly just internalizes this whole... Oh, God. Such a once crisis. a villain, now pretending to be a villain, and he's still not feeling validated. That's like very meta. Yeah. Oh. And, he, and there's a moment. He zooms, he zooms out and he's like, the old me would take revenge. I would seek this guy out and make sure he knows the true extent of my villainy, that I am a true <laughs> villain, right? And he, there's, a, there's a, a, a brief, like, uh, hypothetical flash forward scene. You see him, like, in an alleyway, oh, yeah. looming uh-huh. over, like, a shadow, finding Very that one dude who, yes. who was, like, yeah, exactly, who, like, mm-hmm. who, like, threw out the, the playbill in, like, a garbage can, right? The crumpled playbill. <laughs> How could he? <laughs> right, uh-huh, right. And uh-huh. there's a whole yes, dastardly moment, this? quick cuts, quick flashes. Yeah, he's witnessing, like, what that would be like. Yeah. And then he says, no, that's not the kind of villain I am. I'll show them what kind of villain I could be, Right. And um, there's a Ooh-hoo. very cool, like, time cut forward uh, 
uh, sequence of like him practicing his lines, getting the dance moves right. He's like working with his cast. He's really getting into it. Training that sequence, true, go. like true training, uh, yeah. training montage, right? Uh-huh, he uh-huh. and he like it. A uh, quick cut forward three months later, he delivers his performance, and at the last casting, the curtain call, everybody gets their applause. Gets to him, thunderous. Yeah, the crowd goes wild. That guy who booed him before is in the audience right at the front row. He's actually become his like biggest fan. Looked him up on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Whole whole huge like he's got like the whole costume on. He's shows. just so yeah. psyched, right? And this is the moment where the <laughs> villain feels like his story has finally come to a conclusion. Mm. And that's that's the that's the prompt. Amazing, <laughs> juicy. I like how this brings up all sorts of like identity crises <laughs> yeah of course am i a good villain now because they give me less applause or am i a bad villain because i didn't really do a good job <laughs> what because does it I didn't mean follow through what does on it my all mean yeah. yeah am i even a real villain if it's a theater play <laughs> <laughs> who am i yeah i i can hear the track in the background like soft pangs of piano like yeah he's just alone the, the, the zoom out yeah, zoom out from the ceiling where it's just, I just witness him alone, you know, that kind of thing. Love oh, that. yes. Yeah. Very aesthetic. And and I have a very specific villain in mind. I don't know what your villain looks like because I haven't described what he looks like besides a twirly mustache and a big hat. Well, what's your but villain? He's like stumpy. He's like four feet tall. <laughs> stumpy. Black hair, middle-aged. Oh, I got kind of like the Dracula guy from the Muppets. No, from Sesame Street. <laughs> that was kind Count? of... The Count yeah, from yeah, yeah, Sesame yeah. Street? That was kind of my vibe. But the then, Count's like, not a in, villain. <laughs> I don't know, but it it was just the aesthetic that got me. Maybe it was the film noir music and the fact that he was like kind of contemplative. <laughs> Love it. I don't know why Love this it. reminds me of that character, but I guess that says a lot about him or me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. There it is. Why is he stumpy though? Why was that and in your brain? That's just how they drew him. That's how they drew him. I'll I'll look him up. I'll, okay. I could probably go okay. Hanna Barbera Evil Train Conductor, and I'll probably <laughs> find him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spend yeah. me with his afterward. Awesome. Cool, yeah, cool, cool. that was gorgeous. Well, um, well, guys, uh, that concludes season two of Your Rivers oh, Are Wrong. It's true. It's real now. Uh, we have to be away for just a little while as we collect ourselves and make sure our lives are intact before we continue. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for listening for this long. Thank you for if you're if you listened from the beginning. Truly, hats off to you. And also, if you're still here, awesome. <laughs> yeah, Glad it's you the hour it. mark. Amazing. Listen, you've probably fallen asleep on your train. You got to get off, man. You got to, you've missed your stop already. It's now, it's a, we're an hour in. More There's no train that goes that long. Um, (laughs) All the metaphors. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We stand it. Best of luck on your journey. Uh, Stay out of the heat. (laughs) Take care of yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and as you continue this journey (laughs) of of world building and storytelling, (laughs) always, always remember your rivers are wrong. Yeah, they're still wrong. Will we ever fix this? Find out in season three. Tune in in season three. Yeah. (laughs) See you then. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Your Rivers Are Wrong. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear us cover, feel free to contact us at yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is written by Maarten Schellekens. Thanks for that. And again, thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you at the next one.